Adaxarang is your hub for the A-dramas that we love, love, love so much. And so that more people can join us at Adaxarang. Be certain to follow this podcast wherever you prefer to listen to this podcast. Be certain to rate this podcast. And above all, be certain to share this podcast because if you enjoy tuning in to Idak Sarang, you can be certain that there are others who will enjoy to listen just as much. Pidinim Sotewan has the problem. And it's hard to know where to start, but she has three critical issues in her very busy, very successful life. Being the CEO of a company that garners her much attention, much affluence, much wealth, much popularity around Hanku is not one of her problems. Although she bemoans the day that she had to cross over into being a breadwinner and not the lofty designer that she'd always fantasized being as a younger woman. She has another issue that is plaguing her life, and it is in the form of a stalker. There's a male stalker around Hanguk that is doing just that. He is terrorizing her life, so much so that she has to take anti-anxiety medication so that she can calm the hell down and just get through her days. The three men that are the closest to her, or let's just say that comprise her inner circle of males, are one, her husband, two, her male colleague who's, you know, giving us Duna vibes. And then there is her father. Unfortunately, our female lead has been stalked to the degree that now the stalker, instead of sending emails and very dark and threatening text messages and random flowers, he has decided to kick it up a notch and stalk her at her job. One night as she's working overtime because she has to get this and that in order for this male colleague who, as fine as he is, seems to always create a little extra work for her to have to do. So she has to burn the midnight oil yet another night. The stalker decides he's going to show up and he shows up in his black garb, complete with a black mask and hat. And he chases her throughout the building until she corners herself like a mouse underneath her desk behind the locked doors of her office. And he has a little bit of trouble trying to drill through, you know, the locked door. But it isn't long before he is able to break the glass and come into the office. Lo and behold, he is discovered by someone who's working there late at night. I believe it was the security. And he's run off. And the police are there. 
and they're asking questions. Things are being asked of her that she can barely get her mind around, let alone give them an adequate enough description of this unanimous stalker that's been doing so for seven years. She has no idea who it is and therefore can convey no details that give the police any inkling as to who this suspect may be. Her husband, who for all intended purposes is a, a house husband, he has a life that many women tend to experience except he is the homemaker, as it were. He's there for the daughter. You know, he's cooking dinner. He is doing those things that you would expect the person who manages the home does. After our stalker decided that he was going to rear his ugly head at her job, it put the ball in motion for a lot of sus activity. Our female lead does not trust anyone at this point because after a meeting with one of the detectives that decided to meet with her the next day, she really doesn't know who she can trust. If she can't trust her own father, how can you trust anyone else? And the reason that she can't trust her own father anymore is because of a bug that the detective put in her ear and it is this. Her mom passed away some years ago due to pesticide poisoning. And where that might not have stuck out as anything unusual, the detective noted that her mother had been poisoned the exact same way on three prior occasions. Our female lead did not know this. She also didn't know that her father had a life insurance policy out on the mother and received the benefits when the mother passed away. The detective also goes on to say, your father isn't really your father, is he? Your mom married him back in 88 after she left your father. So that's your stepfather. And she's like, well, what do you mean? I mean, just come on out and say what you're saying. Are you saying that my dad is responsible for the unthinkable? And he's like, I don't know. Maybe it's just something you need to think about. I find one poisoning a coincidence. But three, not so much a coincidence. So she starts to flash back at just very benign moments of her interacting with her stepfather. And the opening scenes have him looking just as elderly and cute and to be protected as he can. But as the scenes start to unfold where she flashbacks to those moments, they're not quite hitting as benignly. He's starting to look extremely suspect. Is he the stalker? And even if he isn't, is he a murderer? Then there's her husband. Unfortunately, she's starting to become an investigator. And you know what they say about going looking for stuff? You're going to find stuff. And that's exactly what she finds. Now, she's having one of her moments because, remember, she is stricken with panic attacks because she's living in perpetual fear. Because she's been stalked for seven years. So the smallest things trigger her. Well, she needs a little bit of moral support. She needs to have the strength of her husband's loving endearment to get her through the very top of her day. So 
As a meeting is looming overhead, she needs just a little bit of TLC from the husband to get her through this meeting so that she can finally get home from work. So she's looking for him. She calls the house. Housekeeper answers the phone. Yes. No, he's not here. He always goes to the gym at this time of day, per the housekeeper. Our CEO says, oh, okay, yeah. So instead of calling up there, she rolls up. She goes to the gym because she needs to see him. She needs to hug him, touch him, get a kiss and reassurance that, you know what? You just keep, you just hang on and we'll be here waiting for you when you're finished with your meeting. So she goes to the gym. She asks for her husband. Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. Your husband has not been a member of this gym for three months. CEO is like, wow, this probably isn't anything. I'm probably projecting something onto this, but I had no idea he was no longer a member of this gym. And then for a quarter, he hasn't been here for a quarter and I didn't know it. So where in the hell could he be? She follows her spidey senses and then lands her out in an outdoor area where there's beautiful sculptures lining the midway entry areas of this place. And she spots her husband, who is usually the demure house husband and his relaxed, neutral toned clothes, you know, beige top ivory top and khaki pants with his little nerdy glasses but that's not the way he is dressed right now right now he's got on some black slacks that are tapered he's got on a black button down that's unbuttoned he's got on a red blazer he's got his hair gelled and slicked back in the i'm waiting for my date which is exactly what he's doing as he's standing outside this sculpture with his hand behind his back, eager, eagerly anticipating his rendezvous. Rendezvous shows up in the K-drama fashion. She puts her hands over his eyes and it's like, ta-da! And he spins around and she gives him a few playful jabs on the upper shoulder that shows intimacy. And she loops her arm through his and they skedaddle off to wherever the hell they skedaddle. So our CEO has to go and give a press conference, not just a meeting. She has to answer questions and she has to be poised and she has to pull all the BS together because she has a mask that she has got to wear. She has got to be someone that she is not. She has to feel feelings that don't exist so that she can continue to impress strength, resilience, and power to the people who she presents herself to. She goes to the parking garage. She decides that, you know what? I am going to find out what the hell is going on. And I've got my suspicion about my male colleague she pretends that her car key is his car key and the parking attendant allows her to take that key and she goes into the trunk and she's looking for the stalking uniform you know the black t-shirt the black hat the mask and all of that 
Unfortunately, she finds it in the back underneath a panel in his trunk. And she's mortified, except that he's coming to leave work for the day. So she has to scamper off and watch him from a distance to verify that this is his car. And what I am seeing is exactly what I am seeing. And he gets in the car and it's like, wow, okay, bingo. We found the stalker, except to look at his face and to see his attentiveness is to confuse you, especially our CEO, who just cannot believe she's possibly blown the cover on who her stalker is. And so we circulate all the way back around to the opening scene where we don't quite understand, but at the same time, we do understand why the CEO is stumbling down a dark street in Seoul running away from a very scary figure. And she's in a construction zone and she breaks the tape and she's knocking over concrete blocks, doing everything that she can to obstruct this person from getting to her. But he's getting to her because he's a monster. And we all know that monsters are next to impossible to kill. And so he backs her up against the railing, overlooking the Han. And there's a little bit of a tussle, but not for long because he pushes her over into the Han. Now he gets away to wherever monsters live. And someone sees her go into the water. And so the police come and then there's a dive team and they are looking for her in the Han River. Thankfully, she is excavated and sent to the hospital to recuperate. And she lies in the hospital bed, having damn near drowned to death, having almost every trauma that you can think of hurled at her in one day. And she starts to come to consciousness, but not before we see her male co-worker leaning over her, watching her very concernedly. He doesn't understand what the hell is going on, at least by the look on his face. It looks like he doesn't understand what's going on. He's in all black, staring down at her, trying to figure out why the hell did we just pull you out of the hunt? Why am I here? Her husband rolls up and he looks at the male co-worker and he's like, he feels in the husband as if he's the husband and the husband is the colleague. And then comes in dad, you know, stepdad, murdering stepdad. And he's, oh my God, I cannot believe it. My daughter, what happened to you? And she's coming too. And it's pretty obvious that the three men that are standing watch over her are her three biggest problems. Each one of them have caused her a level of trauma that she does not appreciate. And so as she is sitting in this auditorium on stage, and there are a few people out in the audience conducting an interview of her, 
and asking her poignant questions because obviously our CEO is at a different phase of life and we can see that this is retrospective what she's doing, telling us this story. And they ask her, well, what would you say? What kind of words do you have to say to your husband, your father, and your male colleague? Instead of her answering the interview question in real time, she answers it from her hospital bed as she's thinking about these three that she's watching. Watch her. And she vows to each one of them silently that she is going to make them feel as traumatized as they have made her. Oh, 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 oh,